Good morning. It's a privilege and an honor for us to be here. Um, as you heard, my name is Andre. My beautiful wife over here is Janine. I'm a husband of one wife. And um, for the last 26 years, uh, she needs a medal that she's put up with me for so long. Um, the church we lead is called Crowded House, as you heard. It's a multicultural church in Bintuk. Um, Bintuk is, a, is an interesting place in the sense that, like uh, Ruan says, it's, it's fellies and, and burbulbrookies, but uh, there's a myriad of charismatic churches there. And so people hop, people go from one church to the other, they never really seem to give themselves completely. And when you start talking about healthy church and you start saying things like, guys, but if you follow Jesus by definition, you become a part of a body. And he's got an expectation from you now. And that expectation is to give yourself, uh, not only to him, but also to each other and to the church. And so the minute you start saying things like that, the guys go, oh, you know, now you're asking too much of me. So we have turnover. It's like, it's amazing. Uh, we've got a lot of young people. I've also realized, uh, okay, luckily I'm old already, so I can say these things. But the young people are a lot more open and teachable to the gospel, it seems. As we get older, we kind of have this picture of what it should be um, and this, this, uh, this kind of puzzle of, so spiritually, this is what my life looks like. Spiritually, this is what I understand about Jesus. And the minute you come and you say, but there's more. There's more about Jesus than, than what, you, what you have. He's so much bigger than what you think he is. Then the people are like, yeah, man, you're starting to, to press in areas that's not comfortable now. And that's actually what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. It's the, the reality of who Jesus could be to us. You know, I was in, in 1986. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak in other language. And my relationship with Jesus just came alive. Before that, I must be honest, I had a head knowledge of who he was and what he did. But there was no heart's connection with him. And even though it's been, I don't know how long that's been, but it's a long time, since 1986 until now, I still realize today that there's so much of Jesus that I'm missing. And so I want, to, I want to really invite you to open your hearts today to receive Jesus and to receive more of Him. Amen? All right, so let's go on. So the first thing that I realized, friends, is all of us, we've got a comfort zone. And we like our comfort zones. The minute somebody starts putting his finger on something and it's outside of my comfort zone, I start feeling anxiety. Think about it. If you say to somebody, listen, can I speak into your life? Oh, guys, I'll never, I've got to tell you this story. So the first time that Andrew came up to Namibia, I'd never met him before. He came and stayed at our house. We had a conference there, one of those regional equips. And after the regional equip, we, Crowded House, uh, hosted it. There's four churches in Namibia that belong to 412. And uh, just before I took him back to the airport, he was sitting across the table from me, and he says to me, so, Andre, can I speak into your life? And I'm like, Yeah. Why not? And I thought he was going to tell me, yes, bro, what a great job you did. <laughs> Come on. This was just the best arranged conference I've ever seen. 
And I thought he was going to say to me, you know what, you might have just, I mean, I think we were two years old then. We just planted, Janine and I planted in our living room. We by then moved out of the living room and we were into a school hall and things were, I thought, going just great. And he looks me straight in the eye and says to me, Andre, you're a lone ranger, my boot. There's nothing that you're doing that is going to carry life further than what the ceiling is. I'm like, Hello. This is a little bit rude. But the minute he said it, friends, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that this is exactly true. You think, you think you have got it all sorted out. You think your, put, your picture of Jesus is complete, but you're missing so much. You're really missing so much. So I started feeling, at that point in time, trust me, I had a whole lot of anxiety, apart from the, the, the um, what's that bad thing that we take, that we shouldn't take? Offense. There we go. <laughs> apart from the offense that I was carrying, I felt a whole lot of anxiety. I'm like, young. So everything that I thought I knew, you now saying to me, is not okay. And that causes us anxiety, friends. So this is what our comfort zone looks like. Our comfort zone is there. Because we don't want anxiety in our lives. All right. But I'm going to show you today that tension is a good thing. Anxiety in your relationship with Jesus is not a bad thing. I'm going to see if I can help you to see that today. All right. So one of the first things that sin causes us to do, and the sin that came into the world and this fallen world that we live in, is we have become supremely self-absorbed. That's who we are. And we need to recognize that. We think we've got it sorted out, but trust me, there's always a little bit more of self that needs to die. Um, So I want to have a look at a situation in the book of John with Jesus and see how the disciples handled it and what Jesus' response was to this to try and help us see today there's more of Jesus that's available to us. So um, Jesus... You know the story of um, all the people there, and they were following Jesus. And the first time Jesus says, listen, let's feed these people. We can't have them come all this way and send them back. It's too far. Let's feed them. And and the word says there was like 5,000 people there. And so Philip, Jesus asks Philip a question. And so in John chapter 6, verse 4 to 7, we've got the scripture. Uh, Now the Passover, let me read it over here. A Jewish festival was near. Therefore... When Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. Now friends, when I read something like this in scripture, when I read that God wanted to test him, I pause, and I'm like, okay, but why? What is it that God wanted to elicit from Philip, and why was he testing him? Now, the word doesn't specifically say something there, so we need to go and do a little bit of uh, research. We need to dig into this thing a bit. Now, the first thing that I realized there is, I think he was asking Philip a question of, all right, so Philip, in a situation like this, We've just been singing about the impossible God, and he can do impossible things. Now remember, by this time, Philip has been with Jesus for a while. 
It's not like he arrived yesterday. They've been busy and walking with him for a while. He's done a whole bunch of things. And so he, he's wanting to test Philip's heart. And Philip, how much of me have you seen? How much of what I am able to do have you become aware of and connected in your heart with? To say, well, I think probably the right answer would have been from Philip, Jesus, this is nothing for you. It might be 5,000 people, but this is nothing for you. You can do this. But that wasn't Philip's response. Philip's response is, oh, Lord, we don't have enough money to do this. And so, friends, you and I today, how many times does God ask us to do something and we think, but I don't have the resources or the capacity or the ability to do this, Lord? Instead of recognizing who it is that is asking us and saying, hey, Let's do this thing together. I want to use you to do this. Our response is, well, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm just not equipped. I just can't do this, Father. This is, you're asking too much of me. And this is, this is who Philip said. Money was his savior. Jesus wasn't his savior. Jesus wasn't the person that he focused on and said, look who's asking me this. And so you need to ask yourself the same question today. How many times has the Lord done the same thing with us? All right, so I don't know how it works here, but in, in Namibia, if, you, if somebody invites you, uh, or if we've got colored people in the church, as I said, we're a multicultural church, we've got a lot of colored people in the church. Now, when the colored people come for a meal with you, they're like, okay, so, Bazi, Pat Kosi? Bazi, Blicky, what can I to fight? Especially so that we've got one lady there, Renel. She calls it our barakat. Where's my barakat, bro? Bring it. So, Renal would have loved this because after he fed the 5,000 people, there was 12 baskets of leftovers. I mean, the colors would have been like, yes, please. This is our place. We want to be here. Now, friends, not only does he fulfill in everybody's need, he provides more than what is necessary to do that. And that's who Jesus is. But somehow our thinking and our heart's position and our relationship stop short of that. I'm like, Lord, I don't think you can do that much. But we sing, Lord, you're the unstoppable God. There's nothing that can stop you. Nothing is impossible for you. Yet the minute he comes into my life and says to me, my boot, Grant, I need you to do this for me, and I want to do this. And you're like, ooh, now it's getting too hard. Why are we like that? Friends, there's a relationship depth. That Jesus is calling us to. That I feel that we haven't yet seen well. It's gone. So, isn't it that we just love the thing that Jesus does right now? So we want to stay here. If he amazes us now, we're like, okay, cool. Let's just camp here. Slani tent op, bring karafan, pak eight. We're staying right here. And it's not different for these people. In John chapter 6, 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is a prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew what they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he was drew again to the mountain by himself. Why did they want to make him king? Why was it so important for them to say, this is a spot where we want to stay right now. This guy, he's the one that we've been waiting for. Was it because they saw him well? 
Was it because they realized that they were faced and standing before the Son of Almighty God? It wasn't. And we're going to see just now why I said that. So, the first thing that I look at there is they wanted to make him king, not because of who Jesus was, but because of what Jesus did for them. So this is why I say we need to see how supremely self-absorbed we are. And sin causes that in us, friends. We might even be unaware of it. It might even be a blind spot in us of our self-absorption. And the only way that we're going to find out how absorbed or how self-absorbed we really are is if the light of Christ Jesus himself shines into my life. When I start allowing the Lord to speak into my life and I really begin to spend the time with him where I say, Jesus... Lord, you've got such a desire to have relationship with me. You've got such a desire to be spending time with me, Father. Let me become quiet before you. Let me allow your light, Lord, to shine into me. And Father, illuminate in me these places in my life that I'm so self-absorbed. So I can get rid of these things, Father. Even that we can't get rid of ourselves. The Bible says... Lay down your life. Surrender your life. And I'll tell you what, you go and ask 20 Christians. Explain to me practically how do you lay down your life for Jesus. And I think you're going to get 20 different answers. And the reality is, friends, in our weakness and in our flesh, we, are, we can't even do that properly. Alone. We need Jesus to help us. We need to actually be praying and say to Him, Lord... I want to lay down my life, Father, but I don't know how to do it by myself alone. I need your grace, Father. I need your mercy, Lord. I need you to show me and help me by your Holy Spirit. How do I lay down my life, Father? I'm struggling to do this out of my own strength alone. I'm simply too self-absorbed. So, Lord, help me. Show me, Jesus, how do I do this better? And I think about a puzzle. And if you think about a puzzle, we love puzzles. The people that love, I don't personally love them very much. Janine loves a puzzle. She can sit and she'll do a thousand piece puzzle. It's amazing. And the reason why we love puzzles is because things fit together. And when you fit, when you fitted all the pieces of the puzzle together, don't, I mean, it's a lucky thing. It's cool. You know, you got this picture there and you've created this picture. And I think it's a lot the same when it comes to our spiritual life, our relationship with Jesus. We want to fit this puzzle together because if I can fit the puzzle together and I know what it looks like spiritually, man, then I'm comfortable. I'm like, Jesus, I've got this. I've got this all sorted out. The problem is, friends, a puzzle's got borders. It has, starts over here and it ends there. And it starts this side and it ends that side. And Jesus doesn't. He doesn't end. There's no, you can't box him in. And I can't box in my relationship with Jesus like I do in a puzzle. But we like the puzzle because it's like our comfort zone. If I, as long as the puzzle is complete and those things are in there, my comfort zone is cool. I'm like, lacquer Jesus, me and you, we got this. We're walking together. And I'm happy with it. But what if there's more? What if he wants to go outside of that puzzle? 
all of a sudden now my comfort zone becomes threatened. And I start feeling anxiety. Think about people, and I'm sure all of us have got probably some relation to that or some frame of reference, where you've spoken to somebody about God or about theology, which is outside of their scope of, of, of knowledge, perhaps. And they'll go, yes, uh, uh, uh. now hang on a second, now you're pushing me too much. I had a situation once where I was speaking to Enge Domini. I shouldn't have said what church, I'm sorry. <laughs> to a traditional church leader. It's too late now, yeah. Any case, we, we used to meet once a week. And um, one, meet, one week he says to me, listen, can we chat about uh, baptism? I said, yeah, let's chat about baptism. So he says, you'd come and tell me what you see in scripture about baptism, and I'll tell you what I see. And I'm like, bring it on. This sounds like a lack of conversation. So I get to him and he says to me, all right, why don't you start? You show me what you see in scripture about baptism. So I'm like, lacquer. And I pull out my, my Bible and I start showing him how I see baptism and how we, you guys know what it's about, so I won't go into the details of it. When I get to the end of it, he looks at it and he goes, yes, Andre, I see what you're saying. Eh? I, I can see why you follow this. Uh, in that traditional church, they talk about small and big baptism. Klein and groot And I said to him, listen, you guys are the only guys that talk about it like that. Nobody else talks about it. The Bible certainly doesn't talk about it like that. And he says this to me. He says to me, Andre, I can see what the Word says. I'm like, do you believe it? Do you believe that what I'm showing you is in fact the truth? He says, I do. I'm like, lacquer. Let's shift. Let's baptize everybody. <laughs> He's like, no ways, mama. I've studied for seven years. I'm not willing to take seven years and throw it out the window because of one conversation. I'm like, but hang on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not a conversation. I'm showing you what the Word says. And you acknowledge that this is the truth. He's like, yeah, I do, but I'm still not willing to throw seven years away. I'm like, whoa. And so... What I was doing is I was messing with his puzzle of who Jesus is. I was way outside of the border of his puzzle of what his relationship with the Lord was. And friends, is he alone? Don't we have the same problem sometimes? I come to you and I show you something in Scripture that you've believed for the last 20 years. And I say to you, what you believe for the last 20 years is in fact not the truth. And I can show it to you in Scripture. What would your reaction be? Would you be, oh no, let's just move. I don't think so. The disciples had to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because Jesus moved the whole time. We have this beautiful example. So just after he feeds the 5,000, the disciples get in a boat, see a Galilee, they Duck to the other side. Jesus stays behind. He's somewhere else, off praying. After going for three or four miles across the lake, that is, in the boat, Jesus comes walking towards them. Now, there's two outrageous miracles that I want to show you. You know about the one, the walking on water, but there's another one that you might have missed. Just have a look at that quickly. 
So in John verse 6, 19 to 21, we see this. After they rode about three or four miles, it's about six kilometers plus minus, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Hello? This is Jesus. He can do anything. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing. <laughs> then they were willing <laughs> to take him on board. Like, okay, it's, it's Jesus. It's all right. He can come on. But <laughs> before we knew this was Jesus, we don't want that oak in this boat. <laughs> they were willing to let him into the boat. And listen to the following. At once, and at once, the boat was at the shore where they were heading. This lake isn't six kilometers wide. It's 13 wide. Go and check it out. He gets in the boat. The next moment, they like transported. Boat, disciples, the yellow box and ice, another uh, six kilometers, plus minus, at once. Two outrageous miracles. Friends, guess where Jesus is right now? Apart from in my archi, apart from that, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right now. As you and I are sitting here, speaking about him, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? He's still serving us. He's still interceding for us. He's still saying, Lord, Ruan is praying. Lord, and he's saying the following. That's who he is to you and I right now. That Jesus that did these miracles is the one that is calling and saying, Ma'am, what's your name? Stella. Stella. He's saying, Stella, I want such a depth of relationship with you like you have with no one else on earth. I want to be with you so much. I want you to share your entire life and everything that you do. I want you to share it with me. And I want to share mine with you. Why do we box the Lord? Why do we think that what we know about Him is all that is available? All there is to know. Friends, it's simply, it's our own limitation. It's not His limitation that we're applying. It's our limitation that we're applying. And we need to see this. So, it's almost like I feel we've got blinkers on. And somehow we've got to move these blinkers off to start seeing Jesus better. And seeing of what he is and what he's holding available to us. Word says the next day the people were looking for Jesus. Why? Verse 25 and 26. And they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi. When did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you're looking for me. Doesn't even answer their question. He's not entertaining. He knows their hearts. You're looking for me not because you saw signs, because you ate loaves and were filled. Friends, we all have a desire for Jesus to come and do in our lives what we would like him to do. Amen? Come on. We do. And it's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting Jesus to come in. The word says he will fulfill the desires of your heart. 
So it's not wrong to have desires. It's not wrong to call on Jesus and to say to him, Lord, I would like these desires to be fulfilled. But we cannot be going to Jesus just because of the desires. We need to start with Jesus. I'm coming to you because I love you, Lord. I'm coming to you, Father, because of who you are. I'm coming to you, Lord, because you are the bread of life. My stomach is secondary. My desires are secondary, Lord. Matthew 6.33. That's what the Word says. It says to us, begin with Him. And we know this, friends. But our default always seems to be we fall back onto, fill my stomach first, Lord. Let me see what I can get, Lord. Give me my things first, Father. When I've got my things, Jesus, then I'm going to start focusing on you. Does he part for the car, It doesn't work like that. Jesus is calling us into a love relationship first. So the title of this message is Eat My Flesh. His desire for relationship, friends, relationship is by definition give and take. It's a two-way traffic. It is not just receive. It is give as well. It is give as well. And so again, I think our limitation gets in the way where we think I'm only able to give so much. That's my capacity. How do you know? Unless you test it, how do you know what your capacity is? Unless you go further than what you think you're able to go, how would you know? You have to go further. You have to almost take that step in faith to say, Jesus, I know there's more. And so I'm going to take that step, Lord, and see what you do. I'm not going to hold myself, allow my limitation to hold back what you want to do, Father. You know, friends, so years ago, um, just after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, a couple of years later, I decided I'm going to go and live in Zambia on the Zambezi River, and I'm going to go and build a lodge there, and I'm going to just have a jaw because I love the bush right? But I did this without consulting the Lord. Even though I was in a relationship with Jesus, I didn't have leaders like Ruan to say to me, listen, dude, you've now become part of the body of Christ. You've now become part of the household of God. He is now your father. You shouldn't make any decisions unless you talk to him first. I just went. And the most amazing thing, friends, even though I didn't check with the Lord, and trust me, life was hard. I lived there for six years in the end. It was the toughest six years of my life. And that's literally where I learned my theology. That's where I learned what it is like to be in relationship with Jesus properly. Because when nothing works out, where you're literally in a place like, let me give you guys an example. So I was 120 kilometers from the nearest town, which was three and a half hours driving. The road was that bad. I had one car. The clutch plate breaks. I'm not a mechanic by trade. I knew something about the mechanics of a vehicle, but I'm not a mechanic. You have to make a plan. You can't phone anybody. There weren't cell phones those days. You have to make a plan. So what do you do? You're like, Lord Jesus. I'm in such a mess right now. 
I'm, Lord, I almost said a bad word now again. I'll stop. I won't say a bad word. But you begin to say bad words, and you're like, Lord, I'm, I can't cope here. What can I do? Every single time that happened, I'd get this ding moment, and this light bulb would go on. I'm like, dude, you are so clever. You must, you're the brightest guy on this side of the, no? And it wasn't that. It was simply Jesus in his mercy saying to one of his sons, hey, let me help him. He has realized that without me, right now, he can do nothing. But why is it that we wait until we get to that place where without him, we can do nothing before we declare our dependence upon him? Why is it that we wait so long? We've become used to life here. Everything I need is here. Now if the, if the clutch plate breaks here, you phone a buddy or you phone the mechanic and say, come fetch this car, fix it and bring it back. And it'll happen. We don't need to depend on Jesus as much. But living in Zambia for those six years, I learned to depend on Jesus. You have no choice. There's nothing else you can do but Jesus. In Psalm 16, verse 5 to 6, the word says the following. It says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. You, Jesus, you hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This scripture will apply to your life. When you come to the point, I believe, this is just my opinion here. I can't theologically stress this out for you. But looking at scripture in a whole and looking at what Jesus is calling us to, I feel this can be mine. When I can come to a place where I say, Lord, I've tried it my way and it doesn't work. So now I want to try it your way, Lord. I want to place my dependence on you completely. And I want you, Father, to have your way in me. Yes, I have desires. Yes, I have needs. Yes, I have wants. And I have all of these things that I want to do. And they're fighting for space in my life, Lord. They're fighting for space in my heart and in my head. And all of these things are fighting for space, Lord. But I don't want to give them space. Lord, I want to give you space. I want you, Jesus, to become everything to me. Not just a part or a section of my life. That part when the pawpaw really hits the fan that I'm going to go to. No. I want you to be so much a part of my life, Lord, that everything that I do is out of dependence on you. Thanks, you know. All right, so here we come to that scripture. And this is the challenge that Jesus had to the disciples at that point in time. Verse 53 and in 57. So Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is real food 
and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me. Thank you so much. This is sparkling water. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Where was I? <laughs> Unless you drink, eh? <laughs> yeah, says, so the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Look at this last bit. I've highlighted it here. It says, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. One who feeds on me will live because of me. Obviously, Jesus wasn't speaking, um, what's the right word? Help me. Literally, thank you very much. Yes, lucky to preach and you've got guys preaching with you. Man. This is hyperbole. Jesus wasn't literally saying, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But what he was saying is, he's calling, I'm calling you to a depth of relationship in me that is like you are eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That's how deep I want to go with you. That's the depth of the relationship that I'm desiring to have with you. It must be like you doing that. Symbolically, you must eat of me every day. Think back. Moses in the desert. How long was the manna good for? One day. One day. Is it different with Jesus today? I need to get fresh revelation of who Jesus is every single day. How am I going to get that revelation unless I'm pressing in with Him, unless I'm spending time with Him, unless I'm going to Him as my God, as my Lord, as my Savior, as my King, but also as my Father. When Jesus said this, the word says, many disciples left him. About 70 of them turned and they headed. Why? This was outside of their comfort zone. That's outside of my puzzle piece of who Jesus is. Lord, you're asking too much of me now. And friends, I think with a lot of us it's a blind spot. We don't realize just how fixed we are in who we think Jesus is. We don't realize just how much limitation from our side we're placing on relationship with Him. Because it's my limitation. And because it's my limitation, I'm thinking that He's limited. He's not. He walks on water. He teleports boats with disciples six miles in the blink of an eye. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Why would I limit Him? So, my one thing that I want you to try and bring across today is, friends, are you perhaps limiting Jesus with your limitation that you're applying to Him in relationship? You know, my wife and I, as I said, we've been married 26 years now, and she still needs a medal for that. And in our relationship, I'm limited. I mess up, man. Just ask her. She'll tell you. She's very honest. 
She doesn't hold back with the truth. And in her relationship with me, she messes up. She's limited. And we all do that. But friends, Jesus isn't limited. We need to see that well. We need to see who he really is. I want to conclude with this. Part of the scripture where Jesus is saying, unless you feed on me, you don't really have a part of me. And he's saying, those who feed on me will live because of me. So part of that that I see is, we can't also only take the parts of Jesus that works for us, friends. We've got to take all of who he is. We have to see him well. We have to allow all of who the Father is calling us into to be released in our life. Remember, in his wisdom, he has decided without, okay, so let me backtrack a little bit. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. He says that, John 15. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But there's another part to that. Without us, he will do nothing. Jesus does through us, the church. That's how he does. That's how God reveals himself to the world. He's calling you and I to be a reflection of him. And unless I reflect him, the world's not going to know about it. We, the church, unless we reflect God, there's nobody else that can do it because we've got the mandate. Nobody else has that mandate, only us. But if I'm placing my limitations on him the whole time, what are we going to show the world? How much of Jesus are we going to be showing the world? So we need, as the church, to enlarge. We need to break that puzzle. We need to let that puzzle pieces be shattered and thrown apart and saying, Lord, I'm no longer going to limit you by my limitations. I'm no longer putting borders on my relationship and on what you can do through me, Lord. I'm going to allow you, Father, space. I'm going to allow you to stretch me, Lord. And Father, when you stretch me, I'm not going to be like an elastic band. You pull it and you let it go, Doosh, it's back to it's where it was. It's like, okay, lucky, now we're back in the comfort zone again. No. Why do you think that God sent Jeremiah to the potter's house and not to the plastic factory's house? Or the elastic band factory? He sent him to the potter's house because if you take clay and you pull it and you let it go, it stays there. And that little baliki that you got on the end, you can take that and break it and pull it again. And it stays there. That's why God used those pictures. We have to be like the clay. We can't be like the elastic band wanting to stay in the comfort zone. We must let God stretch us. And once he stretches us, let's stay there. Let's allow the new of what God wants to do through me because he stretched me to begin to take place, begin to happen. I wrote this here, friends. I said, God wants to give us a faith that transcends our understanding. We're stuck on our understanding. We're stuck on what we know about who he is. But he wants to give us a faith that's beyond that, that's bigger than that. That's the faith that he wants to give us. Are we going to be like the disciples to say, okay, I see who he is. I'm willing 
to let him come in. Let's ask ourselves today, friends. That question that he asked Peter after he washed their feet and comes to Peter and he says, Peter, come, let me wash your feet. Peter says, no, 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 Lord, you can't wash my feet. He says, well, unless I do this for you, you've got no part of me. He says, well, Lord, in that case, then wash all of me. He says, Peter, no, you're missing it. But then he asks Peter a question. It's in John chapter 13, towards the end of the chapter. He asks him this question. He says, Peter, are you truly willing to lay down your life for me? Peter's been with him now for three plus years. And he still asks him the question, Peter, are you willing to lay down your life for me? Peter, of course, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. No problem. He says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Friends, this is not an accusation against Peter. What I feel that we need to see there as Christians is in our hearts, again, Peter's picture of who Jesus was was finite, very small, with borders. And he thought in his mind and in his heart, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm doing it well. But the minute that the crunch came, there where the rubber meets the road, he popped out three times. Even though in his heart he had this absolute willingness and desire and zeal to follow Jesus. And friends, we aren't different. Having a zeal to follow Jesus is unfortunately not enough. It's good and it must be there. But it's not enough. I have to be willing for Jesus to come and say, all right, you have the zeal. You are willing. Now I'm going to shift you. Now I'm going to push you out of this comfort zone. Then I've got to be like clay. Lord, it's okay. Push me. It's okay, Father. Stretch me. I'm willing, Lord, for you to do through me exactly what you want to do. And friends, that's for all of us. Like Ruan said, that's all of us. We are all called in service of God to reflect Him well. Um. Good word, ne? just really feels that the Lord is just, he's speaking to us. We can't deny the fact that he's speaking to us, even if you've just been here this morning. But for those of us who've been here a while, we can hear the echoes, we can see. And I think uh, one of the things that I want to highlight is that uh, the message here is not per se, okay, you've got to go and try harder. Okay, you've got to go and push yourself uh, because that's still too comfortable actually. You can't push yourself out of your own comfort zone. Um, God allows situations and people in your life to pull you out of your comfort zone. And so we've got to be willing. Okay, come into my boat and then he'll do that. 
he'll bring about the situation because he's unstoppable. He's busy with the work. And he wants to pull you out of your work into his work. Uh, he wants to pull us out of our work into his work. Amen. So I want to ask if we can close our eyes. I just want to lead us in a, in a response to this. And, uh, and the question that I want to ask you is, um, first of all, is are you willing? Are you willing? After everything that you've heard this morning, and I hope you heard that this, this hope this better out there, better place that God wants to take you to in the sense of a deeper relationship, a greater revelation, a bigger understanding of who Jesus is, a clearer understanding. That's where He's leading you into. To grow up in Him. Now are you willing to, to continue in that journey? Are you willing? And then we want to ask God, Lord, is there at this very moment a person or a situation that you are using to draw me out of my comfort zone? So we just want to ask the Lord that he will highlight. Might be that he's not showing something, but most of you do have someone, something that's causing a bit of anxiety, that's causing tension, that's causing a sense of, I don't want to. That's, that, that's, that's how it gets, I don't want to do that. Some of the things are not of Him, but there are some things that are specifically from Him. And just, Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, and highlight, convict, can clarify what is of you in this, situ in this time that you are using, Lord, to draw us out into you, out of ourselves, into more of Him. And if you've been resisting that, just surrender. Just say, okay, okay. Be like Peter if he knew he was going to deny Jesus three times. Okay, okay, I, I know I'm probably going to mess it up. But I ask you, help me. I ask you to do that. Surrender. Lord, in this moment, we want to surrender. We want to surrender our will. We want to surrender our uh, big idea of ourselves and our small idea of you. Our, our confidence in our own understanding and flesh and our little trust in, in yours, Lord. And surrender that. And thank you, Lord, for hope. A word that is hope, Lord, that you have for us. And I just pray, Lord, that you will bring a peace that transcends understanding into these situations. We pray that, I pray that you will come into the boat of every single person and show them, just like Riaza, Lord, just such a good example of coming into the boat and all of a sudden on the other side of the pain, on the other side of, of, of the study stuff, on the other side of just a number of things. We ask for that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
I know there for quite a number of us there are some individual situations, but I also want to ask if you were almost like what uh, Andre was saying, six years in Zambia in the bush, and in some way feeling that you are with God and you have a relationship with Him, but you, you've done just pretty much you're in control of your own life, actually. And He had to learn a number of things. But if you feel like, yes, I'm just doing my own thing the whole time, uh, in word and de- in word, I maybe uh, believe in Jesus and I'm, I believe in Him, but I'm like that uh, minister that I can't give up seven years, ten years, one year, or so whatever understanding for believing in Jesus and following Him. But this morning you want to. This morning you want to recommit or you want to give over completely. If that's you, we definitely want to pray with you. As jy dit wil doen, wil jy nie dalk net my jou hand opsteek. Just maybe want to lift up your hand and I can pray with you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay. Lord, we want to pray. Nou daar waar jy sit, net jou oorgave. Geen net jou oorgave aan die heren. Heren, ons vertrou u. Heren, vandag maak ek een belofte dat ek kan u vertrou. Ek wil oorgee aan u. U gloe. U volg. Jy kan nie daar sit en in jy sagies saam bid. So heren, vergewe my vir my eie wil. Ek wil u wil volg. Dank u heren. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. We have uh, out of the comfort zone week. Don't know if that's a good thing. No, it's like. We may not see and may not see. But may you find the comfort of God in and out in that place. I mean, Andre, thanks so much for the word. Uh, it's really been a blessing for us. So, I hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we'll see you in the conference.